Blog Talk Radio. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters with your host, Betty Jo Tucker, author of Confessions of a Movie Attic, right here at www.blogtalkradio.com. You don't have to be a movie addict to visit here, but if you are one, it's definitely the place for you, especially today, because Mark Clark will be talking about his fascinating book, Star Wars FAQ, Everything Left to Know About the Trilogy That Changed the Movies. Now, Mark is an author and film historian who writes about classic movies and TV shows, and just listen to this rave blurb about his latest book. I, I absolutely love it. Quote, Star Wars FAQ tells a story as thrilling and action-packed as the movies themselves, with bold characters facing apparently insurmountable odds. It's full of frantic chases, narrow escapes, daring victories, and tragic setbacks, culminating in an unlikely triumph that changed the course of the galaxy, or at least Hollywood, unquote. Mark's previous works include a critical filmography of horror cinema, as well as books about Star Trek and essays on sci-fi cinema. We're so excited that Mark could join us just a couple of days before release of the new Star Wars movie, Star Wars The Force Awakens. I already have my tickets and I can hardly wait. It's my pleasure to bring Mark on now. Welcome to Movie Attic Headquarters, Mark. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's so great to have you with us. And um, congratulations on um, on your book. I, uh, As I'm reading the um, information about what's included in the book, I'm just getting so excited, and I think my uh, my copy is is on the way. And I'm a big fan. And we also have film critic A.J. Hockery here, who is a fan of Star Wars. 
and he's going to be co-hosting. He's also known as the Mad Movie Man. He's one of our family members here at Movie Addict Headquarters, and he writes film reviews for a number of outlets, including Real Talk Movie Reviews and his own popular blog, CineSlice. That's capital C-I-N-E, capital S-L-I-C-E. Thanks for agreeing to co-host today, AJ. I, I think you were excited about being able to talk about Star Wars, right? Absolutely. As a Star Wars fan who was uh, raised Lutheran, of course, whenever anyone says, may the Force be with you, I can't help but think, and also with you. Oh, how sweet. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's that's such a, a good way to start start out. And I know you have lots of questions for Mark. Um, so I'm I'm going to let you have the have center stage here for the first part of the show. So so you're on, AJ. All righty. Uh, Mark, of course, as you well know, and as uh, a lot of our listeners well know, Star Wars is not, you know, just a movie. It's not just some sci-fi movie that was really popular and has hung on for a while. It is a cultural phenomenon. It is a big thing. It's movies, it's TV shows, it's stories, and a whole host of other media that has touched people's lives for 40-something years now, and it just keeps getting stronger and stronger and lasting and speaking to the people of uh, each generation. And obviously, it touched you enough to write an entire book about it. Uh, so uh, what was it specifically about you know, the Star Wars phenomenon that made you decide to write about it? Well, this book came about in kind of a funny way. Uh, as, as Betty uh, mentioned uh, earlier, I, had, I was actually writing, uh, I was in the process of completing a two-book contract for two books about Star Trek for my publisher, um, earlier entries in the FAQ series, and um, they were looking for someone to do um, a book about Star Wars. And it actually wasn't my original idea to do a Star Wars book, um, mm. but uh, they were ha actually, believe it or not, having difficulty finding someone to do it. And I kind of just said to my editor, well, I could do that. I'm like an even bigger Star Wars fan than I am Star Trek fan. Yay. <laughs> and they were very <laughs> delighted that I was interested in that and I just kind of fell into it that way but uh once I had the assignment it was it just it was very natural for me it was I was one of those uh people who was fortunate enough to see this to see the first Star Wars movie in its original release as a kid I was 11 years old and uh, and it changed my life personally in a lot of ways a lot of kind of surprising ways um and had kind of a, a bigger effect on me than any other movie I've ever seen has had on me, which is not to say necessarily that it's the, the greatest movie ever made or anything, but no movie has had a more profound effect on me than Star Wars, and it certainly has had a uh, one of the movies that's had the biggest impact on the movies in general and, and pop culture in general than uh, than any movie I can think of. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, you know, for someone who's writing a book, you know, there's got to be the challenge there of standing out, you know, aside from all of the other books written about, you know, fiction or nonfiction. So while you were working on the book, uh, what would you say was your uh, biggest challenge in putting it together? Well, there were there were a couple of a couple of challenges. The, the, the biggest thing, the hardest thing, was separating out and trying to sift through all the misinformation and mythology that has built up around these films and their making over the decades since they came about. I mean, for example, uh, some of these things were perpetrated by Lucas himself. He, in numerous interviews, 
um, gave this uh, one of two versions of events, one being that he wrote this enormous screenplay and then just took the middle part of it to be the first movie. But he had actually Ooh. scripted like all three movies or all six movies or whatever. Or another version of it is that he had outlined this whole, uh, depending on um, which um, version you're, of the story you, you, you're reading uh, or he listening to, he had outlined this whole nine or twelve movie saga and written and written uh, treatments for all the different films and then plucked out you know the the fourth episode to be the starting point that he wanted to work with. And in fact, if you go back and you look at the screenplays, the, the various drafts, the memos from the studio, and other communications and original paperwork, that's not at all what happened. <laughs> it, it, uh, the plan came together sort of uh, later. He was just trying to make one movie to begin with and, and make as good a movie as he could. Um, and so things like that, things that trying to sift through. Um, what people think they know about Star Wars versus what actually happened with Star Wars. And I found out, uh, you know, every book, in my experience, every book kind of uh, determines what its own process is going to be. So the book will tell you what the approach to take to the book is. If you have an open mind about it, just kind of follow the material. And in this case, I found the most useful material kind of sort of counterintuitively were the oldest sources available, like going back to those original scripts and memos and things like that, or very early interviews that were either published or that were available uh, in uh, online from different outlets, you know, like old TV shows and things like that. And that was the benefit of doing a book about Star Wars, is there's so much documentation on the movie already out there in various forms that if you have a couple of years to sift through all this stuff, you can actually, you know, tease out a better picture of what really happened with the making of these movies than the official sort of sanitized version of events that has been served up for so many years by Lucas and other people involved in the franchise. Yeah, I know that's a, it's already a pretty uh, difficult uh, job already when you're, you know, have to sift through the truth amidst all this, you know, speculation and stuff, but it has to be really hard when uh, the creator himself is kind of uh, prone to, you know, doing these uh, fish stories like, oh, yeah, it was this one, and then another interview. Oh, no, it's this version of events. So the guy you expect to see all the all the truth coming from and for him to just kind of have the story change over the years, that has to be kind of difficult for that, too. Oh, yeah, and I think I wonder that... if I could I, – I yeah. didn't want to interrupt, but I I'll, I might forget this if I, if I don't uh, ask you right now, uh, Mark – when I, I understand that that your book does include uh, some uh, characters, Star Wars characters that didn't make it to the the movies, uh, were those characters that in some of the George Lucas uh, original scripts that you've read, or where did where did they they come from? Well, I, there's a chapter in the book which I think is what you're referring to. Um, mm-hmm that deals with specifically with the early screenplay drafts of the first film and the different uh, permutations that Lucas went through in trying to write that. And it, um, what he, he describes it as, well, just to go back to the very beginning, what Lucas, is, what Lucas originally wanted to do was to remake Flash Gordon, but he couldn't get the oh. rights. Uh, King Features had already sold those rights to Dino De Laurentiis, the Italian producer, who at that time was trying to put together a remake of Flash Gordon that would have been directed by Federico Fellini, if you can imagine that. Mm. 
Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but so so he couldn't get he couldn't get access to those rights. So he decided, well, I'll just make up kind of my own Flash Gordon-y kind of thing uh, that'll be totally original to, my, to me. And he later said that was sort of the best thing that ever happened to him because, of course, that meant he actually owned all these characters, and he was able to mm-hmm. eventually come up with something that's actually, I think, and I think most people would agree, is a little richer uh, and more durable than Flash Gordon has been over the years, although I'm not knocking Flash Gordon necessarily. Um, so, um, um, But that was his original impulse. But So he had this idea that he wanted to do something kind of like Flash Gordon, but he didn't have a story because you know, he couldn't use any of the Flash Gordon stories he originally wanted to work with. So he kind of flailed around through uh, four different screenplay drafts and some other treatments and things, um, trying to figure out what the story was going to be, and it changed radically from draft to draft. Um, the early drafts of it were very, very similar to um, the, the Akira Kurosawa movie, The Hidden Fortress. Um hmm. In fact, they were so similar to that that at one point he considered um, buying the rights to remake that film and just kind of do that film only set it in outer space. But then as he went through further permutations of screenplays, it got further and further away from the Hidden Fortress plot points, although some of that's still definitely present in Star Wars. And more original elements, you know, came into the story and – but anyway, through all these this process of all these different screenplay drafts, there were characters uh, and whole stories, whole scenarios, the the plots that were completely different than what we see on the screen, and and not only were there different characters, but he he had a tendency to reuse different character names. He liked character certain character names, and he would reuse them, but he would use them for different people. Like in the original yeah. screenplay screenplay draft, Luke Skywalker, uh, the name is in the screenplay, but it's attached to a character that's really closer to person we would think of as being the Obi-Wan Kenobi character. He's an old, oh. retired general-type character. Um, and then he went through different... And, and a matter of, as a matter of fact, when Star Wars went into production, the, the shooting scripts that they started off with when they went out to Tunisia to shoot the original scenes um, originally had the name... Luke's, Luke's name was Luke Starkiller. And then at the last mm. minute, Lucas decided that that just sounded a little too violent and he went back to Skywalker instead of Starkiller to be his and and he didn't come up with the idea of Kenobi the of Ben Kenobi being killed in the middle of the film until the and until they were actually in production and then he had to break it to uh Sir Alec Guinness that he was going to kill off his character in the middle of the film he wasn't even going to get a big death scene or anything that didn't go over too well so I mean so there were a lot of changes uh that happened with that screenplay, and they were continuing to work on it, hone it, and and fine-tune it, even while the film was in production. It was a very, very long, uh, protracted, painful process to get that screenplay into into the shape that it wound up in for the film. Wow. Well, I I was um, thank you for for answering that because uh, I I had read something about it and uh, wanted to make make sure that. Uh, that you explained uh, what was happening there, but I'm sorry, AJ. <laughs> Back to you. Uh, no, no problem, Benny Joe. You know, Star Wars gets uh, when we discuss Star Wars, it gets the best of us. We get excited, but it's okay. It's I know we get very excited. Okay. 
Uh, speaking of uh, getting excited, I know uh, when you research a book like this or any kind of a book, you know, about the history and all these behind-the-scenes anecdotes and trivia and everything, it's a lot of hard work, but it can also be a really fun process, you know, discovering all these uh, different things. So, Mark, while you were writing this book, uh, what were some of the most enjoyable things that uh, you encountered in the process? Um, well, there were a number of things. I mean, the, the great thing about writing these books, about writing the FAQ books, is they enel- they, they, they enable me to, to take a subject that I already care passionately about. Because you know, so far, everything I've written about have been things I was invested in you know, pretty deeply yeah. to begin with. Um, and then really explore them, you know, dig into them, learn as much as I can about them. And I just kind of follow the stuff I think is the thing that's of most interest to me. I figure I'm I'm sort of my own target audience. If it interests me, I put it in the book. I figure it interests you know, most people who are kind of the level of fan that I am, which is I like the movies a lot, but maybe I haven't you know, spent years studying the subject like like I, I do in doing these books. Um, anyhow, and there were a few things that, that really jumped out at me uh, uh, doing, these, doing the Star Wars book in particular. One of them was just I was astounded uh, to learn – how much difficulty they uh, had producing The Empire Strikes Back, well, both of the first two films, but especially The Empire Strikes Back, which went, you know, months over schedule and and tens of millions of dollars over budget and almost destroyed uh, George Lucas. I mean, he almost had to, he was at a point where the bank wouldn't loan him any more money uh, unless the studio guaranteed the loan, which, and he had, Gone to all this trouble to self-finance the film, and he mm. ran the risk of having to sell the the franchise back to the studio just to be able to complete the movie. That that didn't turn out to be the case. He, they might wind up making an agreement that didn't require him to do that. But uh, it was a it was a a real struggle to get that second film made, and and, it was, and Lucas and and the people who made that film were under tremendous tremendous pressure. Um, I had no idea it was that uh, difficult and arduous a process to get that made. And then there were just all kinds of, you know, off-the-wall things that I found interesting. Um, There's a section in the book about the music of Star Wars, which is mostly about John Williams and his contributions to the franchise. But Mm -hmm. there's also a kind of a sidetrack here (laughs) that I, I was fascinated by. Uh, about uh, Miko, you know, who did the disco version of Star Wars, uh, uh, which is a, this uh, record producer named Domenico Minardo, who was like a uh, disco record producer who happened to also be a science fiction fan. And he decided to try to merge his interest in disco and science fiction and did not only this Star Wars album, and which had a which was nominated for a Grammy and had all these, you know, sold zillions of copies, but... Uh, but then went on to record all. I had no idea he went on to record all these other albums of like you know disco sci-fi theme things. <laughs> and had a whole little uh, career that he made out of this, and he actually gave up producing records and became a became a recording artist himself for a number of years. And just little things like that, you know, that were just fascinating little side notes that it, it wouldn't have occurred to me. I, I stumbled across information about the ways in which. Um, Star Wars influenced fashion, which was something that had never even occurred to me, uh, and all kinds of things like that. It was just a, there was a constant flow of wow kind of uh, information on various topics um, that some of which I had I had some inkling of, and other others which caught me completely by surprise. And that's really cool that uh, for something like Star Wars that's been around for so long and. You know, you've watched the movies, you know, 
dozens upon dozens of times, and there's still all these brand new things uh, that you can learn about it. That's always really cool. And, you know, on that topic, you know, like I said before, Star Wars is, uh, we're coming up on its uh, 40th anniversary in just a couple short years away, and that is just kind of insane to think of. Uh, why do you think Star Wars has remained popular for so long? You know, it's just stuck around in the, the cultural consciousness in one form or another and hasn't really gone away and doesn't really plan on going away. Well, I think there, are, I think there's a kind of a two-part answer to that. Um, some of it is just the content of the work itself. You know, the Star Wars was was the first film, the 1977 film, Episode Four, as it's now known. Although I don't really think of it that way myself. Um, it was such a hit, I think, because it was the perfect film for its moment. You know, America had been through, and the world had been through a lot with Watergate and Vietnam and and Hollywood movies of that period were very uh, cynical and bleak. You know, the science fiction films of that era were very dystopian. You know, had things like Soylent Green and, you know, that sort of thing. And uh, and the sort of light entertainments of that era were stuff like Dirty Harry and disaster movies and other things that were still pretty dark, I mean, compared to Star Wars. And I think people just responded to this the freshness of it's kind of old-fashioned uh, earnestness and its messages that you know you can make you can make a difference in the world and in your life. You you know the, that the path of fear and hate will not you know is not the right one and will and the, and the forces of, of of evil are eventually going to be defeated by the forces of good and you know. Love and friendship is is the right path, and and those those themes just really rang true and gave a lot of hope and inspiration to people at that time. And unfortunately, um, they continue. You know, we continue to have to have a need to have those ideas reinforced. I mean, look at the events of 2015. Uh, you know, and 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 there's plenty of need for that kind of uh, of affirmation even today. So a lot of it is is just the content of the films themselves, the message of the film, the spirit of the films. And then in, in addition to that, there's this kind of peculiar way in which the films so far have been released. Uh, you know, you had the three films released 77, 80, 83. And then you had this big gap, and the, and the new movies, uh, the next cycle of movies started in 99 and ran for another six years. And now you've had another gap, and you've got another cycle of movies beginning now. And that's a kind of an odd way <laughs> for a film franchise mm-hmm. to operate. I mean, it's not like the James Bond movies where you get a new movie every few years. Um, it's... Um, and but because it's worked that way, you have you have the kind of first generation fans like me, who who saw these films and loved them, and then were uh, you know later had kids of their own and had or had younger people that they had in their lives, who they were excited to kind of pass them down to, uh, you know at, at a later time, and then that next generation of Star Wars fans kind of got their own Star Wars when the when the prequels came out, which appealed to those younger kids, and now there's been another cycle. And there's another group of younger kids coming up, and with the, the Force Awakens and the other films that are coming up, coming out, they're going to have their own Star Wars. So there's been this ability to pass it down generation to generation, but then each ensuing generation has also kind of had their own sort of Star Wars that they can latch onto and feel a kind of special kinship with. So uh, I, that also, I think, has played a, has played a role in it. And I don't know, I don't know how how that piece of it's going to continue or uh, how 
well it's going to continue if Disney does what they're talking about doing, which is treating these films more like the way they're treating the Marvel comic book universe, you know, uh, films with uh, hmm. this trilogy, but then also a Rogue Squadron film and a Han Solo film, you know. And it won't be quite as special if there's a Star Wars movie every single year. But um, oh. but so far, that, that kind of odd way in which we've received these films, and the fact that there's always been more demand for Star Wars than there's been Star Wars available, at least till now, has gone a long way also just to, to perpetuating, uh, you know, the, the particular kind of affection for these movies that, uh, yeah, that people have. I I agree with with the with what you what you're saying, Mark. Um, when you you saw the movie when it was first released in 1977, and um, I'm not sure did you did you see it when it was first released, AJ? Uh, no, unfortunately, I was born uh, after all of the original movies had their uh, original run in theater, so I grew up with it on uh tape but still those those movies were in heavy rotation in my living room. <laughs> you you right away right away you glommed on to them I'm I'm sure but but I identify with uh, with you back in 1977 because and and what you mentioned Mark about the the things that were happening and the type of movies that were being made now I've been a movie addict all my life but in the in the seven, right you know, during that time frame, I was very down in the dumps because the the films were so serious and so gloomy, and I I wondered if if we would ever get back on track, you know, and have the kind of escapist entertainment I enjoyed so much while growing up. And you mentioned Flash Gordon; that's one of them, <laughs> and and Robin Hood Adventures, that that type of uh, movie. So when I went in to the movie <laughs> to see this Star Wars, I wasn't ex- expecting too much. I came out a changed person. I, I mean, it just brought back my childlike feeling of excitement and awe, you know, at the magic that you can have on the screen. And I became so happy that my friends noticed a difference in my attitude <laughs> towards everything. <laughs> and they wanted to know, well, how did it happen? And I said, I owe it all to an incredible movie. Everything about Star Wars worked for me. And uh, I, so so it had a, had a great influence on me. And I, I'm, I'm just so, I feel so indebted to George Lucas and everybody that works on these movies. And I, I really loved all of them, uh, even had a little bit of, Sympathy for Jar Jar Binks, but um, so okay, it changed. It, it changed my attitude, and it changed your life, Mark. I mean, because you're now into writing the 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 uh, uh, this wonderful book. But uh, your title, Star Wars FAQ, and and the subtitle, everything uh, left for for you to know uh, about uh, how. Uh, the trilogy uh, changed uh, movies, so that's what I wanted. To, that's the question that I wanted wanted to to ask you now. How did that original Star Wars trilogy change the movies, or at least Hollywood? Well, that's sort of a let me count the ways kind of <laughs> question, <laughs> because yeah. I mean, and 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 pretty much the 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 book in total is is gets at that in all kinds of different aspects. You know, the 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 popular impact that it had on culture, 
uh, in general and, and, and other things. So, But I'll just kind of hit on some of the points, and there are numerous others that, that I talk about in the book. But one of the primary ones and where the book starts is talking about kind of the history of Hollywood and where the film industry was at the time that Star Wars came out. And um, beginning with, like, the old days of the Hollywood kind of Hollywood Dream Factory studio system, where uh, you know, Casablanca, Gone with the Wind, and all these great movies being made, and um, and back in those days, the the film studios made money hand over fist because they not only made the movies but they distributed the movies and they owned all the movie theaters or most of the movie theaters. And then in 1948, the Supreme Court ruled that that was a that that constituted a monopoly, and they had to they had to sell off all their theater chains. And that caused great uh, problems for the Hollywood film industry moving forward for several years. And then the 50s hit, and television hit, a number of other new challenges hit. And uh, in the in the six, by the time the 60s rolled around, studios were going bankrupt and being bought up by these corporate conglomerates that really weren't movie makers. They were just people that were looking for investment properties. Right. Uh, so you, so you had. And then you got into the whole New Hollywood uh, era, which immediately preceded uh, Star Wars, where you had Hollywood gambling on young filmmakers with new ideas to make movies, hopefully to come up with something like an easy writer, which would cost very little to make and then return several million dollars. And in fact, George Lucas was one of the people who did that, who made a movie called American Graffiti, of course, with less than a million dollars and then returned massive profits. And that was sort of his entree into being able to make these other movies that he wanted to make. But Star Wars was was the movie. I mean, there had been blockbusters before Star Wars. There had been Jaws. There had been you know blockbusters earlier in Hollywood history. But Star Wars, because not only the the, the it was, became the best selling, highest grossing movie of all time, as you know, um, mm-hmm. but it but it also made additional you know hundreds of millions of dollars and all kinds of ancillary revenue through the sale of toys and. T-shirts and posters and soundtrack albums and and you knew all this stuff. I mean, you know, you know, you know what happened with Star Wars. It was a huge cultural sensation, but this sort of provided a new model for Hollywood. This sort of blockbuster movie model, where you have this uh, film that has enormous profitability potential, not only because of the ticket sales, but because of all the built-in ancillary revenue streams that are available to you, and the the ones available later that weren't even available to Star Wars, like video games and things like that. Um, so it kind of created this new way of doing business that solved the problem of how do we do this and still make money that Hollywood had, had been struggling with since the late 40s. And that new sort of blockbuster model of movie making has at this point been – has at this point survived longer than the old Hollywood Dream Factory system did. And it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. So, So it changed the way Hollywood business. It also changed things like – it set a completely new standard for uh, visual effects. It, oh it, yes, it, definitely. And also for and also for for movie sound. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the THX program, which uh, uh, to accredit theaters for you know sound quality and projection quality, and that really changed the way films are exhibited and led to the whole rise of the multiplex and the creation of new theaters that were designed to make the movie going experience. Uh, Better for moviegoers. It was the it was the idea of the THX, um, it, the, and the nature of of changing the model of filmmaking. We had more of these blockbuster type of movies um, they, that meant 
that you're also making movies that are more aimed at younger viewers, and so mm-hmm. audience, people, the people in the audience uh, has has grown uh, younger in the 40 years since Star Wars came out than they were in the you know decades prior to Star Wars, when you had more of a oh. general audience or even an older audience. So in in so it changed the way Hollywood does business. It changed the way movies are exhibited. It changed. You know where they're exhibited. With the rise of multiplexes, it changed who's going to see the movies. I mean, it, it had a really profound impact on just about every aspect of the film industry. And then, and that's not even touching on the whole impact it had on the wider culture. Right. Well, lots of lots of changes for sure. And um, the time is just going by so fast. And I wanted to be sure <laughs> to ask you. Uh, I, I'd like uh, AJ to chime in on on these two questions. I want to know. Um, what your favorite Star Wars character is and what your favorite Star Wars movie is, Mark? Well, it's tough. It is kind of tough to pick one character. And and I think I think a lot of people would would pick Han Solo and I totally get why people would pick Han Solo. He's the coolest guy in the galaxy. But for me, uh the the character I always identified with the most was Luke. I mean, he's the character you're supposed to identify with, but I also identified with him because um, you know, I, I was growing up in a in a, in a kind of a suburban, uh, lower lower class kind of suburban area that I didn't really wasn't really very happy to be in, and one I would like to sort of get out of, and, and eventually I did. I went away to college and got out of there, and so I kind of had that that sense of you know I don't really fit here. I'd like to be doing something else. I'd like to be going someplace bigger and and experiencing things that aren't happening in the place where I'm growing up. So I really identified with Luke in that and and, and he had in, in this sort of quest that he was on. Um and I and I still kinda see him although I know when you look at the whole arc of the six movies it, it becomes more Vader's story than Luke's. I think that may mm-hmm. that balance may shift back, I think, with the new movie coming out, we're gonna find out. But uh, yeah. but I really see that I really think of the at least the original trilogy is really Luke's story. And so I, I I've always identified with Luke the most. Well, AJ, do you have a favorite Star Wars character? Uh, I'm I'm kind of like that weird kid who always kind of drifted towards the ancillary characters. Like, if I had toys, you know, I played uh, less with, you know, Luke and Han Solo and Leia and all that stuff than I played with, you know, the Imperial Guards from Return of the Jedi, those guys in the red robes who looked really creepy, or the TIE fighter pilots with, like, the shiny black uniforms and everything. Uh, so I, it, it's, it's hard to say, like, definitively what my favorite Star Wars character would be, but one that I've always liked, like, since the first time I ever saw him, was uh, Grand Moff Tarkin from the first movie played by Peter Cushing, if only for the fact, you know, like, it was Peter Cushing, so he gave, like, a very... A very sinister performance, and he was really good. But otherwise, you know, there's the fact that Darth Vader is established as this imposing figure who carries all this power, has these mystical abilities, and here's this normal guy, this old British guy who calls the shots, and Vader follows his orders. And so that was just always, like, really, really creepy to be, like, see Darth Vader, this, you know, big imposing bad guy, just kind of uh, be this other less intimidating guy's kind of lapdog. So that was always freaky for me, and I always liked him for that. <laughs> well, I always uh, expect something uh, very different <laughs> from the Mad Movie Man, and we and we got it again. I'm I'm with Han Solo all the way. He's one of my all-time favorite movie characters. And uh, what is it uh, George Lucas called? Uh, 
called uh, this character the great rapscallion of the uni- universe. And, you know, before seeing Star Wars, I, th- I thought of Ford as a mediocre actor. And after Star Wars, well, I jumped enthusiastically on the Ford uh, bandwagon or starship, I guess I should say. I, th- I thought that with this character that he played, he simply he had such amusing, cynical delivery, and of course, that masculine charisma could not be denied. Well, we are mentioning already the new uh, Star Wars film, and um, we should talk about it a little bit here. What are your ex- uh, expectations for the new Star Wars film, Mark? Well, I am uh, cautiously optimistic, is the way I've been describing it. Um, I did see some initial, you know, we, we, the, the Hollywood premiere was last night, so I did see some initial feedback uh, online today, which was very positive, and that's encouraging. Um, I, I think that everything is in place for them to make a really good movie, to have made a really good movie. Uh, you know, they have all the resources in the world in terms of you know money and uh, visual effects and all that sort of thing. And they have, but they also have Lawrence Kasdan on board again, who did amazing work with Empire Strikes Back, and and did his best to make Return of the Jedi as good a movie as it could be, um, and is one of the real unsung heroes of the franchise, I think. So he's he's important uh, as a cause for hope for me, and 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 all the footage I've seen in the trailers it looks looks really good. So I, I'm. I, I think there's a, a possible. There's really not an. There's no. There's not a great excuse for this not being a not being a good movie, and uh, hmm. so I'm I'm pretty optimistic about it. I'm glad. I'm I'm always optimistic about Star Wars, so I I have uh, high expectations. Maybe they're too high. I'm so glad to see that there's going to be a strong female character played by Daisy Ridley, the uh, an English actress. I don't know anything about her other than she's going to be. Um, uh, one of the key characters. And then, of course, J.J. Abrams being involved, that's always a a good sign. I think he he did three of my favorite TV series, uh, Alias and Lost and and Fringe. And then I think think, uh, Harrison Ford is going to be in uh, as uh, Han, Han Solo again. So my expectations are very, very, very high. How about you, A.J.? Uh, I'm definitely with Mark. I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, you know, the Star Wars fan base is known, you know, like they're be, they're extremely enthusiastic and, you know, for those original movies uh, being as great and as, you know, landmark as they were, they have reason to be. Uh, they can be a little zealous, to say the least. Uh, so it's, there's a lot of uh, Star Wars fans out there who are going to go see Force Awakens. And uh, just they want it to be as amazing and brilliant as they want it to be. And uh, I don't, I don't foresee it being that good. You know, the original Star Wars trilogy. You know, they came out and were, were fantastic hits and were really, really good. But they had room to breathe and grow as a legacy. And so I'm not sure that Force Awakens can be measure up to those expectations right off the bat. But uh, in any case, it does look like a fantastic movie. It looks really cool, and uh, I want to see it. I think we have a good chance to get something that's at least better than the prequels were. Yeah, yeah, the less said about those, the better. (laughs) 
well, we don't we're not uh, we don't want to say anything uh, bad about any Star Wars movie here on Movie Attic headquarters. Not today with me with me co-host with me hosting, <laughs> but I know what you mean. I wanted to uh, mention that we do have Nancy Lombardo, a very loyal listener, uh, who's uh, in the chat room, and she's um, the host of uh, Comedy Concepts on uh, Blog Talk Radio here every. Um, Friday and Monday morning at 10:30 Eastern Time. It's a great show, lots of laughs and great music, and uh, I'm just absolutely hooked on that show. And so, um, thank you, Nancy, for uh, joining the chat and for uh, listening. We're we're talking with uh, Mark Clark, who is the author of the new book Star Wars. FAQ, and I'm urging listeners to check out that book. Is there anything else that you would like to add, Mark? Oh, well, the I would just like to one one minor note I would like to add because I've run into this on the with the Star Trek books that I wrote in the in the FAQ series, and that's just the title is is something of a misnomer. You know, the book is not a series of questions and answers. It's just it's part of a series of books that all have the words FAQ in the title. Um, it's it's more like a collection of history and 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 sort of fascinating minutia and and other information that if you're a fan of the uh, of the series you're gonna find interesting. Uh, even if you're if you're a devoted fan that's read widely on it, you're gonna find some things in it. Even even you are gonna find some things that you probably haven't encountered before. And um, uh, it, it's. It's not just a bunch of questions and answers. The, the, the title is a little bit misleading, but, I'm, but it's the title for all the books in the series, so that's, it's the title of this one, too. And it's available in paperback and um, on uh, ebook form on Amazon.com. Am I right about that? You're right about that, Amazon or you know your favorite bookseller or from the publisher, directly from the publisher if you want to go that route. But uh, yes, absolutely from Amazon. And it will make a wonderful holiday gift for uh, Star Wars fans, and I'm hoping that mine arrives before before Christmas. I see our time is almost up. I can't believe it. It was great fun and very enlightening talking with you, Mark. I, I want to thank you for being such a terrific guest today. And thanks also to AJ for his excellent co-hosting and to Danny Dyer and Richard B. Smart for today's music. This is Betty Jo Tucker giving a big shout-out to the folks at Blog Talk Radio for their support. Special thanks to our chatters and other listeners for tuning in. We hope everyone enjoyed the show. Please come back in two weeks for our top 10 films of 2015 show. We've invited some of our favorite critics, including the Mad Movie Man, to reveal their top 10 list, and I'm very curious to hear their picks. In the meantime, don't you forget to check out our film reviews at realtalkreviews.com. That's R-E-E-L, realtalkreviews.com. And before wrapping things up, I'd like to mention again to be sure and check out Nancy Lombardo's wonderful comedy concept show here on Blog Talk Radio. And also, check out the Mom and Pop Shop show hosted by George Bettinger, Mr. Show Business himself over on Dreamstream Radio every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Also, don't forget all the diverse shows on the Wacko Network, which airs now on Mixler, M-I-X-L-R. There's something for everyone on the Wacko Wheelhouse. 
This is our last show before Christmas, folks. So happy holidays, everyone. That's all for now. Let's close the show with more of that stirring Academy Award-winning Star Wars theme by John Williams. 